God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We love you. We worship you. We adore you. We come here to grow in you and to learn of you and your will and your ways for us and to hear some of the words from your love letter to us, Lord, so that we can be encouraged and inspired and know our true identity and authority in you, in Christ. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit. You just have your way in your church. Lord, and um, we just look forward to everything that you are going to use me for today as the anointed vessel to share your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Repeat after me. I'm going to get closer to Jesus today. I'm going to be strengthened in my faith. I'm going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, last week's message did not get shared online or on YouTube or any of the podcasts because of some technical failures, but, um, but um, I really believe it was powerful, and I just believe it was for us, you know. But, uh, but I will share a brief synopsis of... Uh, where we have come recently, not just last week, but recently, because it's just been so powerful. Well, last week we we learned um, we we were taught we were at the bitter pool that they came to three days after parting through the Red Sea, and um, and we learned. Uh, well, recently we learned through the life of David that we will face giants in our lives. Amen, Amen. and that because of our covenant our covenant with Almighty God through the cross of Calvary and our Lord Jesus Christ's precious blood, we are giant slayers, amen? amen? Because in the Spirit, we are spiritual giants in Christ, amen? amen? And through Moses' account, we recognize that in the life of every believer, there are bitter pools, times of bitter disappointment. But Romans 8.28 reminds us that and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. He's working all things together for the good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And if, you, if you're born again, you're called according to His purpose. Amen? Amen? And we know that you love Him. Amen? So, we have a confident expect, expectation, that's Christian hope, of the goodness of God in our lives. Even in our pain, even in our struggles and hardships, we can look forward, forward to times of refreshing with the Lord. And that's a wonderful place to be. Even in our disappointments, He will make our bitter better. He will make our bitter sweet if we allow Him. Amen. We have been challenged by the Holy Ghost through me, perhaps, but still by God, to believe that God is good and faithful. Praise God. Amen. Remember, you are a spiritual giant. You have the armies of the, the living God behind you, backing you up. You have a wonderful covenant with a trustworthy and powerful God who loves you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amen. The world has no hope apart from the church. Amen. You are the body of Christ. And we talked about before, you are Christ. 
Because when I look at my wife, Tavana, there, I see uh, she has a head and a body. Same person. Same person. Right? I don't refer to her body as somebody else. Christ is the head. We are the body. Same person. Amen. <laughs> and I dared you, like that beautiful praise and worship song, I dared you to believe how much God loves you now. And assuming that you do believe and we realize then that we have a, a part to play. Amen. 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 We should recognize, first of all, that God is, is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he has the remedy for all of our problems, no matter what they are. Nothing's, nothing's even big for God. And we need to also, <laughs> the hard part about the message was to, we need to, when we come to life's bitter pools and disappointments, we need to allow God um, to deal with any defects that have been exposed in our character through our bitter pools. Amen. Amen. Just take it to him. He already knows and he wants to help us with those things. And we need to accept by faith what Jesus has accomplished for us through the cross of Calvary. We need to be thankful people above all. We should be thankful people to God for what Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has accomplished for us. Amen. And we need to expect. We need to have an attitude of expectancy of good things to be coming our way from God. Amen. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus taught us that we should, when we pray, we should believe that we have what we pray for when we pray and then we shall have it. That's how faith works. It's a kingdom of opposites. It takes a little getting used to, but it, God is true. Let every man be a liar and God be true. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so, if everything is working for the good and God has wonderful things in store for us, there's a lot of tragedy and, and hard things and terrible things in this world. And they're going to get worse. There's always going to be good things to be looking at and looking for. And we're the ones who are supposed to be pointing those out. Right? But with everything that's going on, the Lord just, I, I just couldn't get away from it. He had me to, to, to share with you some, something that's rather difficult to, to navigate through. The book of Revelation which I'm not a, a great theologian or expert on the revelation of Christ. It's not revelations. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ given to John the Revelator. Amen? Amen? The Apostle John on the island of Patmos when he was in exile. But the book of Revelation talks about Babylon. The Bible talks about Babylon. Actually, the book of Revelation talks about we'll just say the harlot of Babylon. It uses a stronger word that I'll just not use today. But, but the original city of Babylon was about 50 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq. Okay? And that's where the Tower of Babel was constructed and where God came in and confused the languages and men have used that to divide and and caused division ever since then. Amen? Amen. 
It's, uh, it's, it, go, it was built along the Euphrates River, right on the river, and it, was a, it became a mighty empire, about 20, empire, about 2,300 years before Christ came. So who is this harlot of Babylon, and why does it matter? Good, good question. Glad you asked. <laughs> the, the, the book of Revelation is like a, a tapestry, a beautiful portrait or a, a painting, as it were, with, with pictures painted in colors borrowed from Old Testament canvases. It, 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 if you want to really understand, in other words, the, the, the harlot of Babylon, you have to go back into the history of the Bible to understand a few things. And I'm going to just try to simplify this as, as much as I can, but it's great that we have a, an understanding of what's going on in the world and what's going on in the unseen world around us. And this will help you. Because if you listen to theologians about this, it will make you so confused. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe there's some good ones that I haven't run across that would help me, but... Nevertheless, in the Old Testament, the city of Babylon, it gave birth to an empire that was mighty. It ruled the whole known world, and it imposed its worldview on all the peoples that it con conquered. Those it didn't destroy, it subverted. And I mean subverted in the sense that it corrupted them morally, and it put its ideology upon them. Amen? It, Babylon could be very brutal and callous and proud and she, speaking of Babylon, believed that she would reign over the earth forever. Proud and arrogant. In Isaiah chapter 47, the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, in, in, in Isaiah 47 verse 8, is that she said in her heart, speaking of Babylon, or this harlot of Babylon. I am, and there is no one besides me. Wait a minute. I just read on a church marquee on the way up here. I am the Lord God, and there is no other besides me. Amen. Amen. But she said, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. So she boasted like she was a God and thought she was secure because of her own might and strength, you see? But her destruction is announced in, also in Isaiah uh, chapter 47 in response to her wickedness and arrogance and self-indulgence and brutality towards the people of God, the Lord announces sudden doom on Babylon. <laughs> in Isaiah 47, 11, he says this, but evil shall come upon you which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. And so it was. History tells us that the Babylonian Empire fell very suddenly and very unpleasantly to the Persians under Cyrus the Great around 539 B.C. And then later on, when Darius, the king of the Babylonians, revolted unsuccessfully, as a consequence, they experienced a lot of the same 
treatment, brutalities that they had previously inflicted upon the Jews. Imagine that. This is getting somewhere very interesting. The Babylonians themselves, during their, this siege, when they tried to revolt and they didn't succeed, they, they, they strangled many of their own wives and children just to keep them from starving to death during this brutal siege of their capital city. When the city fell, Herodotus, the historian, says that the gates were pulled down and 3,000 of the leading citizens were impaled upon the walls. The once great city, the queen of the, the world, was defeated, devastated, just like God said. Then we see Babylon again about 630 years later. It's just a, now it's just a village though, surrounded by a sea of sand swallowed up in the desert. But her name, Babylon, begins to reappear in the New Testament as a symbol of the world, of the world system. And her, her name begins to reappear. Peter is the one who says, he uses it in, in, in sort of a code form now. Because he's writing his epistle and he ends his letter to the churches in Pontus and, and Bithynia by saying in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he says, she, listen to this, she who is in Babylon, he, he's signing off on the letter, like a greeting, like a farewell. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, so one of his fellow ministers, like if I was writing a letter and I said, oh, by the way, we love you. And Tavana says to tell you hi. You know, so she who is in Babylon, likewise, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. She who is in Babylon. Hmm. Well, Peter was nowhere near Babylon when he wrote this letter. He was in Rome. But he uses the word Babylon now as a symbolic way of referring to the New World culture at war against the covenant community of God's people. You see what I'm saying? Peter's saying Rome is the new Babylon. Rome is the new mistress who would seduce and subvert the people of God. A lot of people have used this to say, see, it's the, it's the Catholic Church, it's the Pope and all them. It's going to be. And hey, could be. They've done a lot of damage, a lot of damage to the people of God. And I'm not against anyone. I love them. And I tell people, I don't care where you are, what kind of crazy religion you're trapped in or stuck in or grew up in. If you really seek God, he's going to get you out of there. Yeah. So that's what we're believing for. We're not against anyone, but we are against false doctrine that hurts people. Amen. Just leave that at that. I think I've proven that by my tears and, and pleas for you to understand that when I speak against something, it's against something and not someone. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Babylon and her final appearance is in Revelation 17. So now we're getting there. So in the book of Revelation, the reference of, of Babylon is, is, is really symbolic 
John, the revelator, the apostle John, he's carried away in the spirit into the wilderness where, where he, he's, he's going to see something. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 through 6, and I'm reading, of course, through the English Standard Version, which I usually use, unless the King James says it better or differently. But he said, a woman, and this is her, he's talking about this harlot of Babylon, sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. We can get into all that some other time. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The harlot of Babylon is the spirit now of the seductive culture of the world. Do you see that? Actively engaged in the deception and destruction of God's people. She rides upon the beast, it says. Means she's She's, what that means is she's propped up by the forces of anti-Christian governments. Don't forget that. If it's anti-Christian, it's antichrist. It's the spirit of antichrist. You see that? Anything or anyone or any religion or any people, no matter how good they are in the eyes of the world, if they stop short of saying Jesus is God and he is the only way to the Father, that is the spirit of Antichrist speaking. Amen. Revelation, right there, I just read that to you in the sixth verse. It shows us that this false religious system is the instigator of persecution against the true believers of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' day, it wasn't the Romans that were, that were dead set against Jesus. Remember Pontius Pilate, the governor there for, for, the, for the Romans, he wanted to let Jesus go. It mentions it several times in, in Luke and John. and Anyway, he wanted to let him go. It was the religious Jews who demanded that he be crucified. And with everything that's happening in, in Israel right now, don't think I'm speaking against the Jews. I'm not. I'm speaking against religion. Because it makes people do crazy things. Religion is now and always has been the worst enemy of true Christianity. You see that John, when he looked at this woman, this, this harlot, he, 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 had a, he looked at her with a sort of a, not, not, not in a sinful way on his part, but, but in sort of a great admiration. She was splendid. You see what I'm saying? So it implies that this, this harlot is, is decked out 
in such a way it made her very appealing. But she's deadly. You have to see this with your spiritual eyes now. Just like the beast who was and is and is about to rise, the harlot keeps on rising from the dead. You see, those crazy, crazy ideologies and religions and things like that will rise up and then they'll be suppressed for a time. The Nazis, ISIS, the woke culture of this nation, Hamas. You see, they rise up and then they're suppressed. But they, you just watch. Before you know it, she'll rise up again. It's a spirit. It's this spirit, this, this spirit, this harlot of Babylon. Rise up again in another place. Known by another name, but waging the same destructive war against God's covenant people. As it was in the past, so it will be in the future, and is even now. Theologians, have at it. You You can debate the fine details of this vision. All you want. <laughs> I, I don't care. I'm a student of, of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like almost any honest minister will tell you. I'm not an expert on all of it. But I see this pretty clearly. It's something that God just did for me a long time ago. I've told the story of how Tavana and I were on a way to a Bible study where they wanted me to minister on the Revelation, and I was like, I'm going to tell them all the good news about it. What should I do? <laughs> and she said, you just be you. And right about that time, that, 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 uh, that whatever kind of vehicle went across in front of us at the light, go, Will, number five, painted in the window <laughs> for grace, right? And she said, well, there you go. <laughs> she did the same thing when I went to buy that truck. And I was like, I don't want to spend. She goes, no, you need to get a new truck. You need to get a nice truck for your work everything. I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to spend that money. We went right around. We stayed on the feeder road and doubled back, and a bald eagle flew right in front of our truck. She goes, well, there you go. Yes, this is your truck. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> the... the the, the main points of this, and then I'm going to move on. And so I, just, I thought this was important, and the Lord did because he wouldn't let me off of it. I said, this is going to take too long. It's going to be too cumbersome to get through. It turns out you, you guys are right on there with me. You got it. So he was, he's right. Believe that? Yeah. God is, isn't that something? <laughs> God is so wise. But listen, the culture of the world is not neutral. Huh? It's not neutral. And it's not of God. The devil is emboldened by this spirit of this harlot of Babylon. And he attacks God's people right out in the open now. And he will not hesitate to use government to persecute true believers. 
This is not to scare you, but to make you aware and prepare you. He also attacks God's people through the seductive, idolatrous culture in which we live. Just turn the TV on. You'll see. But know this. No enemy of God's people will ever stand. Not for long. The Lord has a day, and that day is coming. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Cool. We did that. All right. So, what are we to do? What are we to do? God said, you remember how I always have told you God doesn't ever want to, he won't ever let me give you hard stuff without giving you this, the positive, the solution, the fix, amen? Because he's the fixer, amen? And he sat down at the right hand of the, of the Father in heaven and said it's finished and he gave all his authority and power to us. So we're the fixers. So we need to talk about it, learn about it. That's what we're here for. Amen. That's why we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some have done and gone shipwreck. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. Not by having heard. Oh, I already heard that. No, no. <laughs> Praise God. So what are we to do now? In the midst of all the, the craziness. Because we are the salt and the light of the world. We're not just the, the salt of the people that love us and our families and all that. That's wonderful. Like yesterday, that was wonderful. But you know, I'm looking around all these 80 million people. Was there 80 million people? in? in uh, <laughs> it seemed like it to me. And I know it seemed like it to my wife. I'm very proud of her. But the... She don't like do that, you know, if she can help it. <laughs> but, and it was packed in there with all these regrets. But, but we're the salt for them. You know, we got to get out of the salt shaker. Yeah. Matter of fact, Jesus said something. He said, occupy till I come. So I want to talk to you, what is that, what did he mean by that? Because really that's only in the King James Version. He really said, do business until I return. In other words, my business. Luke 19, verses 12 and 13, I'll just, I'm going to try not to turn over there because it's a lot longer parable that he was reading or telling them. But this is two verses. And I'll refer to some of the others maybe. But verses 12 and 13 in Luke, the Gospel of Luke 19. Jesus speaking. He said, therefore, a nobleman, he said, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. I can now tell you now, he's talking about himself as the nobleman, leaving to go home to heaven to receive the kingdom from his father and return back here. Is that plain enough for you? <laughs> Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, 
say five or ten thousand dollars just it's a monetary thing and he said to them in the English Standard Version engage in business until I come in other words with what I've given you go take care of business the King James says occupy until I come Jesus said this parable because those that were following him, they thought he was about to reinstate a physical kingdom in Jerusalem right then. Remember, they didn't know all that we know now. Even the ones following him, they were like, well, any day now he's going to take over and set up his throne here in, in Jerusalem and he's going to be, you see, that's what they thought the Messiah was going to do. And he is, it just wasn't for that time. He was here to do some spiritual work. Thank you, Jesus. Otherwise, we would not be counted in that number, only the Jews. <laughs> Thank God for God sending his son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you. God had the plan. Jesus worked it out, and the Holy Spirit provided the power to do it, and he's the one here with us, leading us all the way through this life, up against every giant and mountain and obstacle, all the way to our final destination with our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen. So thanks to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business till I come or occupy till I come. So he told them that just to, to make them, help them understand, although they didn't always understand his parables. <laughs> they did later though. And that's what's important because they had so many aha moments after he went away because the Holy Spirit reminded them of everything that he said, just like he does for us. Amen? Yeah. And then they would go with the scriptures, and they, then they had the Holy Spirit to explain it to them, and they were like, ah, his whole life with us is now alive, and we understand. You know, so that, that's so cool. I have to talk to them about some of those things. I look forward to it. <laughs> But the, the main purpose was to, to, to show that Jesus would be gone for a long time. Then he would return. And before the fulfillment of the prophecy uh, happened, they were supposed to stay here and take care of his business, right? Until he returns. The nobleman, of course, who went to the far country and then returns, that's Jesus. And then during his absence... His citizens, if you read the whole parable, I'm, I told you I wouldn't, so I'm not. During his absence, like right now, while he's gone, his citizens, and this, now, that's not his servants. That's, you, we're his servants. But the citizens of the world, whom he committed his goods, not, 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 the, not the servants to whom he committed his goods, but the, the citizens of the world rejected him just um, as they always have done and are still doing as, as their ruler. Amen. The unsaved world in general and the Jewish nation as a whole. And again, I already qualified that, right? At the second return of, of, of Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to judge with everlasting judgment and punishment, all who rejected him and his rule in this life. There's no chance for repentance then. 
You can read about that in Mark chapter 20, uh, Matthew chapter 25. But there's a second lesson from this parable that I was really getting at, that this to be learned. The nobleman's servants, he talks of himself as the nobleman and, and the servants who did not rebel at his rule were called, that's us, he's our ruler, he's our savior, we haven't re rejected his rule, but they were called into account for what they had done with the Lord's money that had been delivered to them while, while he was gone. Remember, the servants were commanded to occupy, to do business until he, he came in the 13th verse of Luke 19. So, of course, these servants are the followers of Jesus. But the point is, being a follower of Jesus is more than simply not rejecting him. You could find people all day long that don't really reject him, but they haven't accepted him. <laughs> it's, it's an active commitment to serve him. That's what belonging to Jesus means. Surrendering, saying yes. One of the ten servants who had served him was, he doubled it. He doubled it. He, he earned ten more minas. And so he was put in charge of ten cities. One of them made five more minas, and so he was rewarded with putting me in charge of five more cities. Y'all know we're going to rule in this earth, right? We're not always going to be in heaven with Jesus. We're going to come back with him here. This is where the, his kingdom is going to be set up. And then, well, anyway, I don't want to get too far. I'll get right back into the book of Revelation. I'm not careful. Okay. But there was one servant who did not serve the Lord with what he was given. He served himself. And he took what was the Lord's and he folded in a handkerchief and buried it. And Jesus called him a wicked servant. And he took what he did have and he gave it to the one that had ten. There goes their socialism and communism. <laughs> Think about that one. <laughs> he called him a wicked servant. And he stripped him from what he had. And the 24th verse of Luke 19. So this shows us that the Lord expects us to grow, people. That's what we're getting at here. He expects growth. This is not just about money. Money is just one of the things he gives us. He wants all of us. So he makes it really clear in all the parables that he teaches about the kingdom of God. In nearly every parable, growth and increase were expected. Of his believers. Look in Second Peter, right in the opening chapter. It's way back in the back, after Hebrews. Second Peter, chapter one. I'm just going to start reading in the second verse. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Isn't that a good thing? Anybody want grace and peace multiplied in your life? Well, it's obviously something that is possible, and not only that, but it's God's will for our lives. And that tells you right here, Peter says, 
to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The whole meaning of, of eternal life is to know the Father and the Son. That's what Jesus said in John 17, 3. So anyone out there searching to find themselves, just look to John 17, 3, and Jesus tells you the meaning of life. <laughs> okay? And the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, His divine power, His power, has granted to us, already done, all things that pertain to life, this life, and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. So He's granted to us the promises that are in His Word so that through them, through what? The promises. Write this down on your fridge. The provision, my provision is in His promises. I find my provision in His promises. Okay. Through them, the promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, I was talking about growth, right? Make every effort to supplement or add to your faith virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, see that? They keep you from being ineffectual and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In other words, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a child of God. You have the nature of God. You have the kingdom of God living inside of you. And for you to grow in these wonderful attributes of God is just normal. That's who you are. And spending time with Jesus and in the Word just makes that happen effortlessly. Hallelujah. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, and this was his last letter before he was crucified upside down alongside his wife. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of remembrance, a reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made, made clear to me. So redundancy is good in, in God. In other words, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. <laughs> you see, and that's what he's saying. It's good for me to keep telling you the same things over and over to keep you in remembrance of these things as long as I'm in this body, which isn't going to be for much longer, he said. But he still thought it was that important, and I do too. 
So, so this is our part. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I say it every week. I want you to hear that ringing in your head. I'm called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And grace and peace will be multiplied in my life, which is what everybody wants. I've known it since I was a little kid. I told you, Mama and Grandma and them, what do you want for Christmas? Just a little peace. I just didn't know how to get it to them. I knew I wasn't part of it. <laughs> I wish I had pointed them to Jesus. I probably would have got a house shoe in the mouth, though. Because they already knew everything. Forgive me. <laughs> Tavana's still scared of Mama, and Mama's been dead for about 10 years. <laughs> Mama loved her boy as much as she loved me, though. So, anyway. <laughs> So that's our part. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And if you truly know him as Lord, if you truly know him as Lord, then everything you have and everything you are are his. You've set aside your will and your ways and your plans. You've sought the Lord for his plan for you and surrendered to him. Whatever it is, Lord, your will be done. That's trust. And believe me, if there's anyone you can trust, it's the Lord. Amen. So now you live for him, and he lives through you. Always growing closer to Christ and influencing souls for his kingdom. And I'll, I'm not going to get through this message. I knew I wouldn't. But I want to finish with this one, one thing that the Lord has had. Because to do this, you have to guard your heart, folks. You have to guard your heart. And I don't mean putting up walls so nobody can get in. I'm talking about guarding your heart. I, I think, you, well, I'll, I'll just say, you're probably never going to see my wife up here ministering. Not her thing. But if she ever was to preach one message, I think it would be called the heart of the matter. She can talk to you about it all day long, but you probably never see her up here doing it. I know, that, I know her that well too. But I think if I was to guess, if she had one title to one message she would ever preach, it would be called the heart of the matter. And she's right. Proverbs 4.23 in the New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That's why. It's important. Proverbs 20, the same, the same scripture in uh, the TPT, or the Passion Translation, says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being." For from there flows the wellsprings of life. We have to stay free of bitterness and unforgiveness and worry and fear and all the devil's narcotics that we talked about, right? <laughs> that we don't deal in. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So if faith comes by hearing the word of God, so the message, like this message today, the message we hear or read 
or, or the word that we read or, or however the word enters into our brains, it affects the way we think, doesn't it? Actually, whatever we hear, whether it's the word or the world, it affects the way we think. But when we hear a message from God and we listen to it, it affects the way that we think. Like when we hear a message regarding healing for our bodies or peace or forgiveness or prosperity. It'll give us a bunch of scriptures to back it up, right? To, to prove it out, to support the truth that God wants us well, wants us prosperous, wants us to walk in peace and victory and all those things, right? So it'll have scriptures which are alive to, to, to support that in our hearts and minds. And, and so then we find out, okay, it's on healing. So God wants me well. He's paid for my healing through the cross of Jesus Christ. And then, and then if we will just stay focused on those truths, those promises, then we will begin to believe that truth. You have to magnify the truth of God's word more than you magnify what the world is saying. So you begin to believe the truth of God's word if you just keep meditating on it, speaking it, singing it, praying in the spirit. Then our thoughts change from, well, I'm sick and, and there isn't anything the doctor can do about it to Jesus healed me and I don't have to accept this sickness any longer. Amen. See, negative thoughts, which are death, must be replaced they, you can't just try to stop thinking about something. You have to do the replacement therapy, remember? So you have to replace those negative thoughts with life, with truth, with the Word of God. Amen. Then, when you really believe, you'll get mad at the devil, which is what your anger is for, and you'll fight for what is yours in Christ. Amen. Amen. Physical healing prosperity, eternal life, all part of the children's bread. It's just as much as the forgiveness of your sins, all part of your inheritance. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The NIV translates Romans 8, 6 to say this, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. Govern means ruled by. So basically, you decide who's going to be the spiritual boss of you. Hello. <laughs> the lies of the devil or the truth of God's word. Jesus. If circumstances in life have been more death than life, we can't let our minds be ruled by carnal or natural or, or, or fleshly thoughts, not long term. If we want to live the abundant life of peace, our thoughts have to be governed by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this word is alive. These, my, Jesus said, my words are spirit. Amen. A pattern of wrong 
thinking creates unbelief in our hearts. Anything that we do repetitively becomes a habit, including our thought life, doesn't it? It's like a, you know, they say in, uh, in, uh, in the old, in Europe or, or, or Italy or over there, they have the old, uh, there's some old roads like that are made of rock, you know, cut out in the rock that, that still have the old uh, chariot tracks in the ruts from those wheels of the chariots this deep in some of those old roads. It's the same if you go like an old farm road, a dirt road. You know, after you drive down it so many times, it begins to get ruts in it. And then once you get in those, once you get in those ruts, it's hard to get out of. You just kind of, you can put it on autopilot and just it'll drive you right down through them. And, and, and so you're just, you're just sort of stuck with that because, because it's just from repetitive, repetitive driving over those roads and the grooves get so deep and well-worn that it just makes the road like that. And it makes it, to make a turn, it makes it really increasingly harder and harder, doesn't it? You see what I'm getting at? In order to change that path, the road has to be graded down smooth, the grooves flattened out, and then, and then we can make a new path for the, to drive on. Romans 12, one t- 12 verse 2, that I quote all the time, tells us that we are to be transformed like a metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a butterfly, transformed from the pattern of this world by the renewing of our minds by this word. What are we renewing our minds to? We're bringing our thoughts into captivity to agree with Jesus. Or in simpler terms, we're bringing our thoughts into agreement with the Word of God. To to change the direction of our lives. To change the direction of our lives. And to do that, we have to change our thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So... Your thoughts, the predominant way you think is the way your life is going to go. Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22, the Lord says, My son or daughter, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. That means you're really paying attention when you lean in to someone. You see what I'm saying? Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. What a claim. God tells us right there that if we will make his word and his promises preeminent in our life, and whenever we have a bad report or a negative thought wants to come, we just rebuke it and we replace it with what God said and said, the positive thing, then you'll have this instead of that. Believe me, I thank God I have a wife who reminds me every time I say something negative. Well, not every time. She don't always like correct me, but if I, she catch me in a, a rut saying something negative all the time, she, she'll just walk by and say, 
Keep saying what you see, you'll have what you say. And you know, I'm like, "Mm." sorry, Lord. Because sometimes it might not be the nicest way, but she's still right, though. So I just take it and say, well, Lord, you're, she's right, even if, even if you need to work on her a little bit. And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. It's always, with the Lord, it's always about you. Fix me, Lord. Don't ever, don't ever pray your will on somebody else. That's witchcraft. You pray God's will for them. That's okay. But don't say, get them, Lord, or make them think like me. That's, that's, that's not God. I'm just telling you, that's a little tidbit for free. <laughs> Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So the first step to changing the patterns of our thinking is to get the Word of God. Get in there. Find the promises. Find out what the Lord says. And spend time thinking about those truths. Amen. Amen. I have I have some uh, I have a good start on next week's message <laughs> because I, I I didn't think I'd get through everything that that he put on my heart, but it's not always for right then. I I, I know when the Lord tells me when to when it's good, and it's good right now. It's good right now. Yeah. But but I want to listen. I want to tell you this. Uh, and I'll tell you again, but that that harlot of Babylon, that 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 we win, amen. huh? Yes, amen. Right before, right before Jesus comes back, right before He comes back in Revelation uh, 18, I think. You see a mighty angel come down. A mighty, powerful angel. And in one hour, he destroys Babylon. Utterly, totally destroys that nasty, terrible spirit, that harlot of Babylon. Then Jesus returns. His name is Faithful and True. That's going to be on his leg when he's on that white horse. And he's going to have the armies of heaven (laughs) behind him. He ain't going to be no suffering savior then, but a conquering king. We have that to look forward to. Amen. 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 You know he loves you today? I love you too. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for sharing with us the truths that you have for us today. Help us to protect them and guard them in our hearts and not let the enemy come and steal the word, but help us to meditate on it, to magnify it, to make it real, and, and, and let it take root and bear fruit in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we feel that we are closer to you today and that we will continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.